Friends, will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So one of the things I like to do is organize. I know that sounds really, you know, some of you who are not organization bugs, others of you will really understand that, maybe teachers. One of the things I like to do is organize things underneath, because if you went in my office right now, you'd say, oh yeah, Cassie, I'm not sure, because my desk doesn't always look organized. And, and the corner in the, in the kitchen where we come in and lay things down, it, it tends to pile up. But what I like is when I open a drawer, everything has a place. When I open a cabinet, everything has a place. A closet, everything has a place. I like my towels to be folded in such a way that they all line up by color and size. And, and, and I was sharing this, you know, spices. Spices is another one. I helped my mother move in recently to her home here in Decatur, and I, I organized her spices, and she's been there less than a month, and, and I still feel a need to go in and organize the spices again after she's used them. But I resist. But I was sharing this need to organize, and uh, Bonnie, our church administrator, also likes to organize, and, and we began to laugh that there are times once we finish a project and we get organized, we just like to stand there and look at it, right? Gives us a sense of accomplishment, I guess. So we've been doing this a series called Unsung Heroes over the uh, beginning last week, and we'll go through next week. And this is, this is time to look at people in the Bible who may not get much press, okay? They might only have a line or two in the Bible. Sometimes we don't even know their name. But their impact upon God's community is usually amazing. Right? Last week, we, we were introduced to Tabitha, sometimes called Dorcas, and she is a woman who took care of other women, and her impact in the community was to bring wholeness and healing to the community. Today, we're going to take a look at, De at Jethro. Now, Jethro gets a, almost an entire chapter in Exodus, which is pretty good. This is Moses' father-in-law, and he seems to have an eye for organization, something that perhaps Moses doesn't. And so he helps Moses put into place a set of leadership teams that help to govern the people that Moses is leading. So I'm going to read you this passage from Exodus 18, picking up at verse uh, 13, and then going all the way through 27. Listen now, if you will, for what the author tells us about this knack for organization. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that was that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people have come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I made known to them the statutes and the instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. 
You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me, he says. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God, and you shall bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions and make known to them the way that they are to go and the things that they are to do. You shall also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set these men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men from all the Israelites and pointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all time. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of God for the people of God. So it doesn't take Jethro long watching Moses to realize that if he continued on this path of working long, heavy hours, day after day after day, with all of the burdens of the people upon himself, he would soon be burnt out. It seems that maybe Moses wasn't as good at administrative kind of things as he was at, at really leaning in to who the people are and the, and the hurts of their hearts and who God is calling him to be. Or perhaps he, he was too consumed with the demands of the people that he really couldn't have time to step back and take a look at the broader picture and, and find a way to be sustainable in the wilderness. So Jethro proposes to him a system, if you will, a system that he would break people into groups of 10 and 50 and hundreds and thousands and put people in leadership over those groups. Ten sounds like a small group to me. And so he, he said, here's what you do. You go and you recruit. This is important. You recruit people of good character, those who are trustworthy and reliable, he says. And then you train them, and you pre help them prepare to be leaders among the people by give, teaching them the ordinances of God so that they can train the people for whom they guide. And then put them into small social groups, those tens, fifties, thousands. Those are, those are the way we come together. John Wesley did that. We had small groups of ten and societies, organizing the people in a way that they can most successfully
commune together, support one another, be successful together. And then he says a really important thing. He says, look, here's the deal. There's this affirmation. If you, Moses, keep your eye on God and you train these leaders to keep their eye on God, then the blessing will be that everyone will live in peace. They will go home in peace. I think that probably one of the most important parts of Jethro's plan was the part about choosing people of good character. He, he breaks it down. He says that these people need to be able people. That means people that are willing, have a willing spirit. People who, who are intent upon listening to the needs of others rather than being consumed with their own needs. People who are compassionate but firm. People who know how to separate out reason with facts from the charge of our emotions at the center of our being. People who often are like our grandmothers or grandfathers steeped in wisdom that comes with a lifetime of experience and being able to see um, from that perspective as opposed to their own perspective. Then he says they need to be trustworthy and hate dishonest gain. I like the way the NIV puts it. They put it together. It says it doesn't put a comma there. In our NSRV that we read this morning, it was trustworthy and hates dishonest gain. But the NIV puts them together, says trustworthy those who hate dishonest gain, as if they are, are bound together like a magnet. One cannot exist without the other. The writer is telling us that the crux of devotion for God is such that we no longer are interested in things that might be appealing to us, but interested in things that might help another. <clears throat> he, is, he is pointing to the fact that it is so easy to get tied up in, in uh, the modest temptations of life and begin to think that, that if I only do this one thing, I will gain the trust of this group of people even though I might not gain the trust of another. He is warning them against uh, the ancient uh, and also modern temptations of bribery and personal gain. He is warning them that, uh, that they are the type of people that are not interested in economic gains for themselves, but the economic gains for the community. Trustworthy, who are um, against all dishonest gain. But he puts at the center of this, this focus, this foundation for fear of God. So in our Wesleyan tradition, we might understand this fear of God as, as that uh, mutual walking with God that mutual uh, voluntary growth in our relationship between God and us, a time in which we walk on a process towards sanctification. We know, we know this fear is not one that 
makes us hide. This is the kind of fear that makes us walk alongside God instead. This sanctifying grace, as we call it as United Methodists, this sanctifying faith keeps us in check with our ordinances of God. John Wesley said that in God's means of grace, God's way of showing us that love, that God's beckoning into us into a relationship that is deep and committed and meaningful, we'll draw, we will draw to God through acts of worship, through constant prayer, through study of the scriptures, participation at the table in Holy Communion and Holy uh, Baptism in the community and Holy Conferencing. That time in which we keep each other in check in the way that we think and see the world while not tearing one another down. It becomes a spiritual practice, if you will, something we spend hours and hours of doing. We can't become sanctified without putting in the hard work of doing these very things. These, these acts that, of faith that draw us closer to God and closer to the people that we live with in community and closer to God's world outside of our community. We take on a lifestyle, a lifestyle that, that we are drawn into good works, not because they are an obligation, but because they are simply flow out of this relationship that we have with God. This holy way of living, of staying in love with God and staying in love with people, is both personal and communal. It is personal in that it enables us to overcome all of our, our shortcomings and our weaknesses in our lives and times of struggle and times of when we feel like we are losing faith. But it is also communal in the way that it enables us to work with one another so that we might make the whole community in which we live better for everyone who lives there. This system that Jethro invited Moses to put into place saved Moses from burnout. But more importantly, it sent the community home in shalom. That's, that's the Hebrew word, shalom. We translate it as peace. But it's more than something that's calm within our soul. This shalom, if you will, is a wholeness is a healing. This shalom lets us enjoy a shared welfare for the benefit of everybody that is in community. That got me to thinking, friends, we need more shalom in our world. We need it in our nation. We need it in our state. We need it in our cities, and we need it in this congregation. And when it comes to creating a space for shalom, it is character that counts the most. And keeping our eye on God is how we form and develop that character within us. 
So Jethro proposes a system of leaders to set into place. But leaders are more than people who shape our society or run our governments or even preach from the pulpit. Often, the most significant leaders are those with whom we keep company, our families, our friends, those we go to church with, our co-workers. We find these people in our lives are those that we can trust, those we find to be trustworthy, those who we can go to and share that which is troubling us. And they will speak the truth in love to us, keeping our focus on God rather than our own selfish need to be heard or seen or loved. These are the people that we often call unsung heroes in our lives. We see them in Jethro, and we see them in people like a man named Trevor Harvey. Trevor works in a New York City hospital. He is not a doctor. He's not a nurse. He's not even a medical technician working with patients. Trevor is an inventory specialist. His hospital, before COVID-19 shut down New York City, was an orthopedic hospital. So when he kept the inventory, it was stocks of braces and things and hips and all kinds of parts for orthopedic surgery. But all of a sudden, his hospital was turned into a crisis center, a center for the most critically ill COVID patients, and everything changed. No longer was there a place for the replacement hip on the shelf. Now he was finding room for respirators and parts and pieces that keep the people alive with COVID. He repurposed areas of the hospital. He made... Um, patients' rooms into areas for uh, respirators, and he put supply closets, changed them over to have all of the wares and the, and the uh, medical supplies that these most critically ill patients need. He said, he said in an interview, he said, here's the deal. He said, if you let something deplete to the very last minute, it's not just an inconvenience. It could be a matter of life and death. You see, Trevor took his job seriously. And, and there were days that got him down. There were days because all of a sudden he would get a call to run up two body bags to the ninth floor. He didn't even hardly know what a body bag was before COVID-19. And now he keeps them in stock by the cases. But he never let his bad day interfere with those days that those he served, the doctors and the nurses and the medical staff, get in his way. He said, because my bad day shouldn't be reflected on you. His compassion was for them. And so when he delivered their supplies, he did so with a smile and sometimes a snack because they worked long, hard hours and barely had time to take a break. He did so with words of hope and kindness. 
And then when he finished his long, long shifts of 12 to 14 hours where he never sat down, he would go home and he to three children and his wife. He said, I every day prayed on the way home that I wouldn't bring the disease home with me. And so they, they had this, this, uh, this time when he would knock on the door and say, Daddy's home, and they would get out their, their spray bottles of disinfectant and they would literally soak him from head to foot so that he didn't bring anything home to his children. And then after a long 14-hour day, he sat with his children who had been in an apartment in isolation, and he taught them. He taught them their schoolwork, even though he was tired, and he shared life with them. He encouraged them. He brought that same smile back home to them. What gave Trevor a purpose in life was the devotion to give his kids a better life and his co-workers a better day. Trevor and Jethro in common have this ability to bring about change that ultimately is life-giving. They have within them the character that counts to bring shalom into the corner of the world in which they serve. This shalom that heals a hurting and disillusioned world. I'm encouraged by their stories. I hope you are too. It helps me to determine that I want to lean into my relationship with God, to dance a little closer with God throughout the day so that I too might live a life that is trustworthy, one that is inviting one that is able and ready to help a hurting world, to share a little bit of God's shalom with everyone that I come in contact with. Friends, I think we can do that. I think each one of us has within us that call of God to be in relationship with God in such a way in that sanctifying process that we take that love that God shares with us, and we share it with our disillusioned, hurting community right here in Decatur. Remember, character counts. Amen.